I recently got my hands on some really compelling data. Uh, and here, here's the thing, organizations that have made the switch to fundraises, digital fundraising platform, are seeing average online revenue growth of 77%. Now, that number is really staggering. But at the same time, you know, knowing the fundraise solution, it's also completely believable for me. I've been in this game for 25 years helping nonprofits uh, grow and, and identify ways to level up their, their fundraising. And regularly, uh, I find myself referring uh, charities and ministries that are looking for ways to speed up their growth, to streamline processes, and to create a better experience for donors online um, over to my friends at Fundraise. So I recommend that you talk to Fundraise today to see how your organization can grow uh, with Fundraise. And you can, you can reach them at fundraise, F-U-N-R-A-I-S-E dot org. Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, your home for all things fundraising and nonprofit leadership. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I've got a favor to ask. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please go over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate the show and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people and make a bigger impact in the world. So thank you in advance for doing that. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm super excited to be here today with my very good friend, David Schwab. So David is the head of growth marketing at Fundraise, and uh, he and I have, have worked together, I think, at three different agencies now, and now we just partner together on fun projects across the industry. Um, he's one of the best human beings I know and uh, a wicked smart digital fundraiser. So David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. I will uh, do my best to live up to that nice introduction. Um, I think, yeah, it has been three, maybe three and a half, if you count the whitelisted agency at the time I moonlight for you. So, yeah, we've been we've been around a little bit together. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. Hey, um, before we get started, uh, take a minute to, to tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your background and what fundraise is. Absolutely. Uh, so, like you said... I am uh, the quote-unquote token digital guy. Um, I got my career started in fundraising a long time ago at an agency some people know, Russ Reed. Uh, I think Russ Reed became one and all, and I think one and all is still around. It Slowly, is not but um, no, it no, is it not. Sold okay. the true sense. Yeah. It is. It is dissolved. I saw that the the unit I worked on at, at Russ Reed had gotten sold. I didn't know if the if it had all been. Dissolved. So yeah, so I worked at, I started in Russ Reed. Um, then I moved, I made a very big move. I went from nonprofit fundraising to entertainment advertising. I uh, worked with brands like Mattel and Xbox, Microsoft, and then stumbled into Facebook and Oculus, which is Facebook's, now Meta's, uh, virtual reality company. And so I was doing product launches and product marketing for uh, the virtual reality industry, which was really cool. Um, but I got to the point where I was like, look, I've done the coolest things I'm ever going to do in my career. I'm not ever going to get to turn a real life person into the Hulk again. So it's time for me to, to ask myself, if this, is this really what I want to be doing? And, you know, I had made the commitment when I left the nonprofit space that I would bring back what I was doing and learning to the nonprofit sector and help organizations that were actually doing real good. And that's when you and I reconnected the second time around. Um, you and I worked together at a couple different agencies. And what I found when I came back to the nonprofit sector was the, uh, a very disappointing lack of support 
technologically, functionally, um, expertise. There are some brilliant people in the nonprofit sector serving the nonprofit sector, but the average the average digital person in the nonprofit sector is just barely scraping by due to lack of tools, lack of support, and lack of education. And so I made it my goal when I came back as a consultant to go and find the best technology available for nonprofits to help them do what is just table stakes in the for-profit sector. Um, and so I got familiar with several different platforms, fundraising, fundraise being one of them, to help nonprofits fundraise better online. And ultimately, it led to the opportunity to join fundraise and lead their marketing. And for a while, I had been committed to helping nonprofit organizations find better technology. And I said, look, if, I really, if this really is what my passion is right now, I'm going to be best suited going and taking a role at a company that I believe in, at a platform that I think is best in class, and just shout from the rooftops as loud as I can, as often as I can, hey, there are better options, and we're one of them. Um, and so that's what I do now. Every day is I just I go to work every day and do my darndest to break through the noise in the sector and say, hey, there are better tools available for you. Please come check us out. Fundraise is a great tool for you, but there are so many tools built specifically for you by fundraisers, by nonprofit people that will help you do your job day in and day out so much better, so much easier, so much more efficient. And so you asked what Fundraise is. Fundraise is a fundraising platform. Um, the way that I describe Fundraise best is Fundraise is the platform built for organizations that want to grow. Whether you just incorporated and you're looking to take your first gift online or you're a century-old international organization and you're looking to um, make that next big leap in your, your mission or your impact, We've got tools and, and tech and the platform built specifically to work for organizations like you who just want to grow and increase their impact. Very cool. All right. Thank you. So I want to go in a couple different directions with this conversation today. But one, the first place I want to start is with something you said to me recently when we were having a, a conversation offline about the fact that you think that having, I'm going to butcher the statement, so you're going to have to correct me, but I, you, you'll get what I'm saying. You, you think that having good technology is really about like ensuring that you take good care of your people um, or something to that effect. Talk, talk a little bit about your point of view around that and how, how that shapes the thinking in our sector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, what we were what we were talking about is is technology is not just an investment in your organization; it's an investment in your people. Yes, yeah. Um, and that, I I say that a lot because of conversations I've had with other marketers and and technology providers in the sector who have experienced something that I never saw in the for profit space is that nonprofit people fundraisers will pay out of their pocket to have better tools because it makes their life so much better. And on the for-profit side, when you're, you're at a business, if you're like, hey, I need a tool to make my product myself perform better, and it's going to make me 50%, 100% more efficient, nine out of 10 times, your boss is going to be like, here's the company card, go get that, and make sure everyone in the company knows how to use it. But in the for-profit sector, you're so beholden to your annual budget and your line items that people are pulling out their personal cards with no expectation of getting paid back and buying software to make their lives easier. So... I say all of that to say, to back up the statement, an investment in technology is not just an investment in your organization, it's an investment in your people. It helps people 
do their jobs better. It helps people be more efficient. It helps people move faster. Um, it helps people enjoy their jobs more because the frustrating manual things can be automated. Um, you can take so many of the day-to-day -day grueling tasks of a fundraiser or a nonprofiteer off their plate, let technology handle it so they can focus and do really what they were hired to do, whether that is go and call a donor, write a thank you note, plan the next fundraising campaign, or get out on the front lines and, and provide the service your organization was created to do. Yeah, so a follow-up to that, and this is something I don't, I don't think I have any data to support it, but based on what we know about how fickle users are, for example, when somebody lands on a, a website or a donation page, if that load speed, it, if there's a lag there, we know that that causes a huge drop-off and people mm -hmm. you know, lose visitors, you lose donations. Yeah, in the, in the for-profit you know, corollary, you, you lose purchases. Um, mm -hmm. it, those kind of things, it, it strikes me that this is kind of in a similar vein as that. And I just wonder, like, are we at a point where if we don't address these issues, we're going to lose talent in the nonprofit sector? Because I got to imagine some of these, particularly folks who come out of uh, companies like you did um, and who who have experience in places where not it's not about like a bigger budget or, or, or something like that, although maybe to some degree it is, but, it, but really kind of this perspective that, you know, we, we've got to have best in class technology if we want to be effective, right? If we don't have that, are, are we running the risk that people are just going to say, you know what, nuts to this. I don't need to be like, as much as I care about this cause, I'm not going to bang my head against the wall every day, just trying to get my laptop to load, like respond to that. I think you're 100% accurate. And I will give you a stat to back up your hypothesis here. So this was a few years ago now, so it's probably even more relevant. But uh, Walmart did a study on all of their e-commerce platforms. So if you think about the scale that Walmart can do this study, just let that sink sure. in. Yeah. They found that every one to two seconds they removed from the load time of one of their e-commerce pages, so a product page where you go, you click, you add it to cart, whatever. Um, every one to two seconds they removed from load time, they added one to 2% conversions. Hmm. So if you do the math, every second you pull back, that's 1% more often that someone converts and makes a purchase for Walmart, but the logic carries over to the nonprofit sector. I had tested this dozens of different ways, dozens of different times, and it almost unanimously comes down to the faster your website loads, the faster your donation page loads, the more gifts you make. So there's there's stat in hand for you to be able to, to back that up. But I think if we get into the psychology behind what you're asking, right? The generation of talent that's coming in, you've got your younger millennials, your Gen Z, it's weird, I feel old now because I have, I'm a multi-generational manager, I have Gen Z talent, and they're not just like fresh out of college interns, like some of my managers are Gen Z, in the Gen Z uh, generation, so I would say probably 50 plus percent of your staff, and far more than that of the people doing your day-to-day -day work and your day-to-day -day fundraisers are digital natives. Hmm. And there's nothing more frustrating to a digital native than not being able to operate digitally. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll speak as an N of one to myself. If I pull up something on my phone and I'm scrolling and I click a link and it takes more than two or three seconds for that page to load, I go about my business, I close and I leave. 
same with work. If I go in and I'm like, hey, I got this cool lead today. Um, I want to go check it out. So I log into our HubSpot account, and for whatever reason, HubSpot takes 10 seconds to load instead of five. I get distracted by five other things. I get messages. I get another email. I get a text. I go on to do something else, and I totally forget about that thing I was trying to do. And HubSpot's good technology. Like, part of that's just my internet or whatever where I'm at. But that's the, the case you're seeing is um, when you have digital natives, they expect to be able to think, act, and operate digitally. And if your technology and your platforms aren't built for that, it's going to frustrate people. And ultimately, even if it doesn't necessarily make them leave, you're going to get a fraction of their capability. Yeah. Well, and I bet, uh, again, supposition here, but I, I would imagine particularly for those people where, you know, we're putting sort of, you know, outsized goals on their shoulders, right? And we're saying we want you to scale, you know, online fundraising by some crazy percentage or, you know, um, advocacy signups or what, whatever the goal might be, right? And, and we're saying, you know, do all this work but do it with technology that hasn't been updated or enhanced in the last seven to 10 years, sometimes even longer than that. Like that, yep. that's got to feel insurmountable. I would bet for a lot of people. It, it is. And I've, I've lived that exact experience in a few different ways. Uh, but often what happens is you've got people leading an organization who've been in the nonprofit sector for decades, which is awesome. You've got, great depth of leadership, great knowledge, but most of those people leading organizations have come up, if they're fundraisers, they've they've came up through direct mail fundraising. Right. Online digital fundraising was barely a thing when they were, you know, at, at their prime of leadership and now they're leading an organization. So they're thinking back and like, well, I know direct mail, I can get five to 10 return for every dollar I spend. So digital team, I wanna, I like, I'm expecting that, but I'm gonna spend, you know, I'm gonna spend one-fifth of what I'm gonna spend in direct mail and I wanna make the same because digital's free. Yeah. Um, that's a totally different podcast topic, but um, <laughs> your, the reason direct mail works so well is everything was built to support it. Yeah. Direct yeah, mail's been the fundamental strategy for 50 years, more, maybe. Yeah. Digital's been around for 10, maybe. Um, so everything from CRM to operations to even accounting software was built for the direct mail and to make it work really well. So like you said, the, the people who are being tasked to make digital work really well are inheriting expectations of what direct mail can do in a fledging platform for the nonprofit industry using tools that were quite honestly in most cases outdated 10 years ago. Yeah. What do you think, uh, just as you've been talking, I've, I've been, you know, noodling on this idea, like, I wonder how much of this also is related to the fact that in most nonprofits, except maybe the, the mega organizations, right? Mm -hmm. In most nonprofits, I, I don't think I run across a, a, a title of a CTO anywhere, right? And, and, you know, when I think about the kind of negotiation and, and, argument, if you will, that it, and pitching that it takes to get an organization, a board, a CEO, you know, a finance committee to actually buy into tech investment. 
I wonder if part of the challenge is that we just don't even have the right people speaking into that, and we don't have that sort of senior level technology owner in the organization that can really drive for that sort of change. What What are your thoughts on that? Uh, quite honestly, I've never really spent time thinking about it, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, truthfully, I think in my experience, the highest level technology person I've come across is like a director of IT. Yeah. And that's not even necessarily thinking from a chief technology officer standpoint where director of IT is more focused on like, how do I make my systems work? And how do I keep my systems up and running? Whereas a technology officer is thinking, how do I make sure I'm getting the most out of my systems? And how do I make sure that yeah. my systems are serving my people the way that my people need? Um, and so I think, I think that's a really astute observation. Um, I'm not sure quite what the fix is. I also think it'd be really hard to pull a traditional CTO into the nonprofit sector for the smaller organizations because they've got a technology budget less than what most organizations would pay for accounting software, right? Yeah, or a yeah. CMS. Um, so I think one thing that could be interesting though, and I've, I've seen it kind of take hold in the startup space, which is where we play at Fundraise, is a fractional, the fractional C-suite. I don't know if you've heard much of it. Sure. But yeah. uh, in the nonprofit sector, I often run across like fractional CMOs where you don't need a full-time chief marketing officer, but it's really good to have that executive senior level oversight and planning and leadership to a marketing department that executes day to day. I think that could be a cool option for a lot of nonprofits is like a, a fractional nonprofit CTO. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, so I want to go back to something that you said in response to an earlier uh, question. Uh, the the issue of, of things like you know page load speed, I want to drill into that because there's a very real fundraising impact to it, right? Mm -hmm. And you and I worked on a very large project um, for one of the top five nonprofit brands in the country, right? Mm -hmm. um, one that's highly recognizable. Um, they might ring some kettles at the holidays. I mean, people will know who they are, right? And, and you know, through, through that work, we discovered some really interesting things about, um, you know, the, the performance of digital campaigns and how important it is mm -hmm. to have uh, not just like good creative and good strategy and, and even good execution, but really to have solid technology backing your work so that you can actually convert visits to donations. Um, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit broadly about some of the challenges that you've seen, uh, whether it was that or, or elsewhere, and, and particularly how that issue of um, you know, load speed and, and, and things like that impact the, the dollars raised or not raised. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think I'm gonna use an analogy before I jump into specifics. Yeah. Um, when we were planning with this organization, um, we were dreaming up a Ferrari, right? We were like, let's let's throw the let's throw the script out and build the the best digital fundraising program the nonprofit sector has ever seen. And we did. Like, I was I was floored with the final product. Usually, like as a strategist, I come up with something. I'm like, hey, here's a rocket ship, and we end up driving a a jalopy. Like. We didn't we didn't get the rocket ship, but we were driving like we were we were flying a plane. Like it was it was really yeah. cool. Executed well, all of it. Well when we came to execute, to launch, 
pardon the pun there, but when we came to launch, <laughs> we realized we were launching a, a rocket off the back of a 1950s VW bug. The infrastructure just wasn't there. Um, and that's the, that's the critical issue that you're going to run into more often than not in the nonprofit sector. Um, when we think about this is organizations like, oh, I want to go do that shiny, flashy tactic. I'm going to go get, like, I can go run the ads in the ad platform, and I can get my grant from Google, and I can get my credits from Meta, and I can get my grant from Microsoft, and I can go run all the ads and get all the traffic and do all these things that the for-profit sector is doing, and it's great. But what we forget is we're flooding a dam that wasn't meant to hold that amount of volume. Yeah. And, and that's what we ran into, right, is the... The, the fundamental connections weren't built to support digital fundraising. They were built to support direct mail fundraising. Case in point, from the time someone made a gift online to the time that gift was reflected in that donor's record and able to be communicated to again, took on average two weeks. Hmm. We were yeah. sending a fundraising appeal every other day. Hmm. Wow. So That's, if we were yeah. asking someone for a gift to a campaign, we would ask them, let's say they gave a gift to the first time we asked. We would ask them four more times before we could see that they had actually given a gift. Yeah. Tell me how that's good for donor relationships. Tell it's, me how that's not. a successful fundraising program. Right? You know, and this is one of the frustrations that I have, particularly when, when organizations make decisions for either strictly for financial reasons or because mm -hmm. they they feel like a particular platform um, you know has one feature or another that they find beneficial but they do that to the detriment of their fundraising performance right and and mm -hmm. I'm sure people will say oh well it's not all about fundraising but at the end of the day fundraising is what fuels mission and if you're not optimizing yep. for fundraising um, it means you're ultimately not optimizing to accomplish your mission and, and so exactly like, how, how do we how do we convince leaders and organizations to give a rip about this? Because I think a lot of organizations, a lot of leaders just don't even pay attention to it. It's going to sound a little backhanded or, or maybe put offish, but it, look at the numbers and get out of the dang way. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Pay attention to the numbers. Numbers don't lie. We, we same, same organization. Um, we were running a digital advertising program. We wanted to try, like one of our goals with the program was to convert more mobile traffic. Mobile is the future of fundraising. Yeah. If you can convert mobile traffic, you will win the next generation of fundraising. That's where, that's where like literally grandmas and down are now looking at you on their phone more than they are any other device. But where do most of your digital gifts come from? A desktop or a laptop. Mm -hmm. That math doesn't math to me. So if you can fix the mobile problem, you win. So on average, mobile conversion rates are 1% to 2%, right? It's not great, but that's average. Yeah. Well, the platform that we were using was performing 10 times worse than the industry average to the point where we had to turn off all mobile traffic because it costs too much to make a gift. Average gift was about $100. We were willing to pay 50 to $75 to acquire a donor. So we did the math when we were going and we're like, okay, here's our 
cost to acquire donor, here's our payoff, like here's our lifetime value, here's the payoff, here's the return, here's what we're willing to spend. So we went and we built an ad program to do that and we hit all of the milestone metrics to the point except for conversion and it was converting 10 times worse than the industry average. So it was costing us 10 times more per donor, literally to the point where we were paying about $100 for every dollar donated, which, wow. or no, sorry, $1,000, $1,000 for every dollar donated. And like the average lifetime value of a donor was $800. So we just had yeah. to turn mobile off. Mobile was like, mobile traffic is more than 50%. Like, so we lost more than 50% of the available market, which impacted the other side of the program because you remove 50, 60, 70% of the audience, you fatigue the rest of your audience very fast. And so that started to, that performance started to dip. And everyone was coming to us and like, why is this not performing? And we're like, well, we can't do anything with mobile. And they're like, well, no, 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 this platform's mobile optimized, you're good. I'm like, look at the numbers. Here is the right. math. This is what you're paying to use this platform. This is what you're paying to be able to be risk adverse to change. Are you willing to keep investing that? That's the most successful way I've been able to do it. It's like, look, it's literally costing you 10 times more than anyone else in the, fund, in the nonprofit sector is spending right now just to do what you're doing. Do you want to yeah. keep spending that? Great. We'll keep running it. But I guarantee that, you, you're going to burn your people out. You're going yeah, to frustrate that, your that people. That is the question. Well, and, and on top of that, like, if I, if I go a couple levels up, I, I start to ask the question, like, is this an appropriate use of donor dollars, right? Because ultimately exactly. that capital comes from other donations, right? It's not like, mm -hmm. it's not like the organization has an infusion of capital from, from the VC world or from, you know, some investor somewhere it's, it's donor dollars. So, so we're actually saying exactly. by not making those decisions to change, we're, we're saying it's okay that we waste these donor dollars because we're more comfortable keeping something in place mm -hmm. that, that, you know, either would be difficult to change or might offend someone in, in accounting or legal or whatever the reason might be um, when there's no uh, mm -hmm. financial reason to not change, right? I think that's yeah, a big it, mistake. It ultimately comes down to a conversation about stewardship, stewardship of donors, resources, and donor dollars. Yeah. And your people, too. Like yeah. We come all the way full circle to what we talked about before is like the people on the on, uh, that are executing are getting incredibly frustrated because they're like, there, there has to be a better way. It, this can't be the best thing for us. How can I keep justifying spending this much money of our small budget Yeah, when it's just not working? Well, and I, I think the other thing that a lot of people don't even think about, don't even consider is you know, you, you've got the, the very real costs like you're talking about, like the, the stewardship piece, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the time, effort, and frustration of your staff, the, the lost revenue. But then like, what about the constituent experience for the people who aren't donors, right? They, they come to you by mobile. They have an incredibly frustrating experience. Uh, I, I saw a study by eMarketer a few years ago, and, and what it showed was that you know, a significant majority of people who have a poor mobile experience, they don't just go away from that particular experience ha having, you know, say a, a bad you know, experience to it. They actually fully abandon the brand, right? And so think about that. You know, if we're delivering traffic 
to a, a donation page and a platform that, you know, maybe maybe the company says they're mobile optimized, but they're actually not optimized to convert traffic and, and we're having these problems, you're going to have 50 to 70% of that traffic. They're not just going to say, oh, I'm going to go away and come back later. They're just abandoning. They're not giving. They're not turning around and going, let me find my checkbook and write a check because this is so difficult to transact online. Right. They're not saying, let me go over to my neighbor's house and use their laptop to do this. They're just saying, oh, that was difficult. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to go watch Netflix, mm -hmm. right? And, and so yep. you have all of a sudden this additional burden of diluting your brand value in the marketplace because people who want to give to you have such a crappy experience that they say, you know, I'm just going to go do something else with my money. Spot on. I don't really have much more to say to it other than like from a marketer's perspective, every experience is a brand experience. From my perspective, I am driving down the throats of every single salesperson on our staff you are brand ambassadors <laughs> yep. because they're the front lines they're the people who engage with with the sector the the nonprofit uh, the fundraisers and, and nonprofit people that we talk to day in and day out are 99% of the time talking to our sales people yeah. you are brand ambassadors you know our brand better than I do right it's the same with your digital experience now I'm a slight optimist in this case. I'm not usually, but I'm a slight optimist that most people will give a little bit more grace to a nonprofit brand than they will to for-profit brands. Yeah, I would hope. Um, and if I'm if I'm being pessimistic, most platforms are so bad, brand people don't even have a chance to get to the point where they're engaging with a crappy experience. It just takes mm -hmm. too long to load. They leave and go back to their Instagram feed. So okay, fair enough. Positive in the, the positive <laughs> and the negative view, version of that. All right, so uh, I want to I want to shift gears again because you and I had another conversation recently about um, the some of the, the challenges and, and opportunities, and you talked about this a little bit in your intro, but um, around trying to sort of retrofit nonprofit and fundraising activity onto um, platforms that were designed for commercial purposes and some of the challenges around that, uh, whether it's CRM or a donation platform or, or some sort of engagement platform. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the industry as it relates to, to that sort of fit issue and what you think the future looks like. So I could talk for hours on this. Um, I, if, if anyone wants to, you can see my real hard take on this. Uh, I posted a couple weeks ago on LinkedIn when Amazon Smile or Amazon announced that Smile was going away. Um, again, much different conversation, but my my general perspective is if you step out of what you're using your platform for and think about it from the platform's perspective, that platform is a business. As a business, who do they serve? Sure, they serve the nonprofit sector. Sure, they have a version of their platform or pricing for the nonprofit sector. They're probably trying to do good in the world with a tool that they think is fantastic. All of that is good. But when, when fit hits the shan, economic instability, uh, in, in the world we're in right now where VC dollars are gone, it costs 20, it's 25% interest rate for every dollar of debt you own as a, as a tech company. Holy crap. Who, who is that business leader going to focus on serving? The nonprofit vertical that makes one to five percent of their overall revenue that does really good work that they're really proud of with really good people or the other 90 plus percent 
of their business that serves the for-profit sector that has high returns, that is not discounted, that is go not going anywhere, that is stable, and that they can go and focus and help those organizations grow so that in turn that platform can make more money? Or do you work with a platform that only works with nonprofit organizations, that's only built for nonprofit people, that's built by nonprofit people, because they understand the unique frustrations of a fundraiser, they understand the unique frustrations of a nonprofiteer. And when fit hits the shan, and economic instability, and there's no funding, there's nothing going around, and they have to make hard business decisions, they're not deciding between one to 5% of their business portfolio to support the nonprofit sector or 90% to support the for-profit sector. They're deciding between 100% or 0% to support. Hmm. So you, do you know where they're gonna invest all of their time, energy, and resources? Supporting you as a fundraiser, supporting you as their customer. I, I kind of stop and think about it this way. Um, I've got a, a Toyota minivan. I got nothing flashy about it, there's nothing special about it, but it's one of the hybrids and I, you know, when I bought the car, I was like, you know, thinking to myself, I'll, I'll be able to get this serviced anywhere and no problem. Well, I take it to the, the mechanic down the street. Um, he's helped me with other cars before, no problem. And he gets this and he's like, well, I can kind of work on it, but there's some things I haven't seen before. There's this, that, and the other. So I, he's like, you should probably just take it to the dealer, right? And I was like, well, but why? It's literally, I'm just like, it's an oil change. I want an oil change, right? And he's like, well, yeah, but now they do this so different because it's a hybrid and all this, so whatever, right? Don't need to get down that route, but take it to the dealer because those mechanics work on these cars day in and day out and it's all they do. Yeah. That's your choice, right? Are you going to take, but for, don't call yourself a minivan. You are all better than a minivan. But all right, it, let's, let's, let's call us Ferraris. Let's, let's say we're all Ferraris, BMW, like we're all really flashy, um, something, something we all dream of driving one day. But are you gonna take your Ferrari to anyone other than an expert hmm. to fix your car? Yeah. Someone who does it day in and day out? That's, that's really the trade-in, right? Or the trade-off between trusting your, your organization's success to a for-profit product or a nonprofit product. Now, I will also recognize that the software built for the nonprofit sector was awful for a long time. Yeah. And a lot of the options still are, just not good. But the biggest difference today than five, 10 years ago is one, there are some really, really good platforms built not just for the nonprofit sector, but built by people who faced all of the frustrations you're facing. Yeah. They said, I, my CRM doesn't do what I need it to do. My fundraising platform doesn't do what I need it to do. My email doesn't do what I need it to do. I can kind of make this for-profit, this, this product that, that I used at my last company work, or I can work around my technology, but that's it's just not a, that's not a long-term solve. But now there are options built by people who face the frustrations you faced to solve the frustrations you're having in a really clean, easy way. And that's what's available today. And the other thing that makes me excited about it too, thinking long-term, is the amount of competition in this in the the nonprofit tech sector specifically is is insane. Like, I find out about five or six new fundraising platforms every week. And this, like my full-time job is to be part of this very niche sector of the nonprofit technology sector, which competes with for-profit technology, is just to understand our competition from the, the platform side. 
and there are four or five handful of, of new companies I find out about every week. And sure, that makes deciding where you want to, what you want to use hard, but one, it gives you a lot of options, but, and two, it creates a lot of competition on the technology side, and it makes us all be better. Yeah, so that's a, great a very long-winded winded way to say there's a lot of really good options that are built for nonprofit people by nonprofit people. We're just past the point where you need to rely on bad tools or tools that weren't built for you. Hmm. Great point. Um, all right, I want to move on to, to something else. We've got just a few minutes left, but before I do that, I, I do mm -hmm. think that you know, you're a minivan. I, I think that you need to talk to Justin and you need uh, fundraise brand blue ground effects because I think that would make your kids happy and it'd be on brand. So, I mean, it'd be a great marketing investment. <laughs> it match all of our socks. So right, there, there you go. Right, I'm, I'm, we're going to hang up here and I'm going to call Justin. So perfect. <laughs> all right. So with just a few minutes left, um, I would love it if you could uh, give us a little bit of a forecast and, and, Tell fundraisers and leaders maybe two or three things that they need to be thinking about, uh, implementing, watching out for uh, between now and year end that could help make or break their year end, uh, their, their overall year from an mm -hmm. online fundraising perspective. What are the things that, that we should be uh, taking stock of? So I, th I think we have to start with your, your fundraising platforms. Now is the time to evaluate if you're on the right tools. I gave a, a talk at the Nonprofit Marketing Summit last year, and part of my talk was about evaluating your tools and figuring out how to prep for year-end fundraising with the tools you have on hand, and whether you need to build something, you need to buy something new, or band-aid or patchwork your way around what you have to replace it in the future. So I would say now is the time to look at your platforms and decide whether or not you even need, like whether or not you need to make a change. Because if you make a change, if you decide now to make a change, everything will be up and running and operational by year end. And you'll hit that full fundraising season and yep. you're gonna you're gonna look back and be like, why did I not make this change sooner? So that's, that's number one. Um, number two, fix your mobile experience. Even if you think you have a great mobile experience, it, it can be better. Um, last time I checked, and this was a few years ago, so it's even more so, at least 50% of your traffic is coming from a mobile device. It's probably more than that now. Easily 60 plus percent. So if you can increase the number of gifts you get from a mobile device by 5%, that's gonna be the biggest change you can make to any of your fundraising efforts you can do in the next 10 months. It's gonna be huge. Like you don't, like, yeah. There's so much psychology behind it. If you think about the way people give online, all of that. If you can add 5% more conversions through mobile devices, you're gonna see a huge boon. We gotta talk about the elephant in the sector, AI, chat GPT, AI image generators. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, you're wasting your time if you're not on the blah, blah, blah. I, AI is just like any other technology. If you've got good process, if you've got good strategy, it's going to accelerate your work. If you've got bad progress, process or bad strategy, it's going to accelerate your failure. <laughs> it's a tool just like anything else. So if you're on the fence or you're thinking like, hey, I need to get in this AI thing, or I, I gotta start doing whatever, make sure your process, your strategy, and, your, and, and what you're trying to do is very clear 
before you go the AI route, because really all AI does is accelerate what you already have today. So if you've got a good platform, you're going to accelerate your success. If you've got a bad infrastructure, you're going to accelerate your failure. And then I think the, the last thing I would say is, is talk to your people. If you don't know where to start in any of this conversation, your people do. So if, yeah, you're, if you're a leader and you're like, hey, I don't even know what the next step for me is, go ask your email manager. Go ask your campaign manager. Go ask the person who's responsible for building your, your website. Ask them something that they could have that would make their lives easier. I guarantee you they've got a list and they just haven't <laughs> talked to you yet. Yeah, truth. All right, man. This was a fun conversation. Thanks for going down some rabbit trails with me. Uh, how do people reach you if they want to connect? Yeah, I'm uh, pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can follow me there, David Schwab. Um, you can also, I'll, I'll give it to, to you guys. It is a real number. You can text me 714-717-2474. Don't call me. I don't pick up phone calls, but you can text me and I'll text right back. Um, so yeah, phone, text, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me, david at fundraise.io. Um, yeah, that's the best way. Awesome. Thank you again for being here. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks again for joining us today for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Please don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review so we can get our message out to more nonprofit leaders. And as always, feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or at andrew at andrewolson.net. Be well, friends.